Hello and welcome everyone to Eyes on the Mize. My name is John. Joining me on the line is Ian. What's going on, John, and everyone at home? It is going wonderful because this is episode 8 in the shadow of the Pro Tour. Uh, this weekend is the Shadows Over Innistrad Pro Tour. We're going to talk about it extensively as we preview what you guys should be expecting this weekend. But first, we want to take our eyes and focus them on the community for a little bit because Randy Bueller of Super League fame now has announced the Community Super League. Yes, what this is, is it's basically a spinoff of the incredibly popular uh, Super League series uh, that Magic has been hosting. Uh, Started out with Vintage Super League, then they've done a standard, a modern, back to Vintage, more Vintage, which is amazing because you don't get to see a lot of high-level Vintage play. But what they've done here is they're still going to do the Vintage Super League on Tuesdays. But on Thursdays now, I think Graham for the next I don't yeah, know how Thursday, many weeks. Thursday starting on the twenty eighth. Yeah, there was I think Graham said ten weeks on a loading ready run stream. Speaking of loading ready run, they are one of the people uh, groups participating in this league. Uh, it's going to be Kenji Igashira, Aaron Forsyth from Wizards R and D, Gabby Sparts, Marshall Sutcliffe of Limited Resources Fame, uh, Magic the Amateuring podcast ladies megan and maria the ladies from the girlfriend bracket aaron chris hallie and katie the professor from Tularean community college wedge from the mana source and paul chion those are going to be the competitors and they're going to have varying formats so it's not going to be they're not it's not going to be like standard super league it's not going to be like modern super league Basically, they're going to rotate the formats through. It's going to be crazy. They've already said they're going to have no ban modern. I fully expect to see Blazing Shoal Infect in the hands of somebody because that's going to be freaking awesome. The question is, who is going to play it? I don't know, but somebody's going to play Blazing Shoal Infect. You've also got Tribal Wars, which is a format that I really didn't know a lot about. It was a format that was actually played a little bit on Magic Online, but essentially it's you build a tribal, you build a tribal deck and fight people. Fight me with your goblins. Basically. And then there's Momir Basic, and I am waiting, I am waiting for whoever's on the Loading Ready Run account to be like, hey, would you rather play the Flottery? Oh, man, I would love to see Flottery on coverage. Could you could you imagine, uh, like, Loading Ready Run versus Paul Chion doing the Flottery? Dude, I would just absolutely love it if... Alright, for those at home, what the Flottery is, it's called the fa- it's the Phage Lottery. So Momir, you have an avatar, you pitch lands, you can spawn a creature based on how many lands you tap. It's an avatar or vanguard avatar you can use in Magic Online. And you basically get a token of a creature throughout Magic's history. At random. And, at random. Like completely random. It's so hard to do in life, real life, but like on, in Magic Online because they can just go, and this. So basically, however many lands you tap, when you discard a land, you get a creature of that converted mana casting or converted ca- casting. Yeah. That seems. Converted casting cost. Yeah. That word. Can't talk right now. Whatever. Anyway. So what it is is you want to – the flattery is you get up to seven creatures. You don't attack, but you keep putting seven th- creatures out on the board. Once you have seven creatures, then you can attack. However, you stop at seven because at seven mana is Phage the Untouchable, which has a lovely cause clause of if it was not cast from your hand, you lose the game. Yeah, Phage is rough. I have seen, and Loading Ready One has pulled this off, the non-bow – of quote, they stuck a platinum angel which says you cannot lose the game, and then hit phage, you lose the game. <laughs> it was wonderful. Oh god, was... I, I, I watched the replay of that on their Twitch uh, a few months back. I was like, oh, this is so beautiful. 
It was great, and I loved it. So I played, I played a multiplayer flottery where we had four people all playing their Momir Basic decks, and we all did the flottery. So Momir Basic, I hit, and I hit Phage. And Momir Basic is literally just all lands. Yeah, you play a bunch of basic lands, and you pay X and pitch it, and you create a creature of that CMC. For example, you pay one mana, pitch a land, you make a you make a random one drop. Uh, if you pay, pay two mana, you make a two drop, which is why the seven drop is called the flottery. So anyway, so that's that's a format. I think it's going to be stupid ridiculous because there's literally no strategy involved. It's just straight pure RNG, which is going to be fun. Like the whole point of this community, by the way, is to be fun. Yeah. This uh, is supposed to remind us all that, hey, magic's a game. And you know what? Games are supposed to be fun. So and then they're going to have an Iron Root Chef competition. And, oh, a, and they hinted at a guest judge. I mean, if it's be- not Nate Holt, it's just kind of. Or, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the, the wizard. wizard. <laughs> it's not the wizard, then God knows. Uh, anyway, so the reaction, when we, when we kind of bring this up, because one, it's a cool thing, they're, they're reaching out to the community, but that's also kind of a point of contention with people. Some people are absolutely head over heels for this and love it. Frankly, I know a lot of the people who are in this. I moderate a lot of their Twitch channels. Um, they're all great people. I'm excited for them. This, this should be a nice little fun side diversion i like that matt the wizard is reaching out and stretching out their kind of streaming portfolio beyond just the uh streamer showdowns and vintage super league and other super league offerings for this however there is a bunch of people who say all right well we see kenji in this stuff we see gabby marshall's on the coverage team aaron Forsyth works at wizards we see loading ready run produce friday nights and all this other stuff that's kind of like the same people we see over and over again can we get more people i think that they might have a slight bit of a point, but, and this is a huge but, this is the first one. You want to put the people that people know in front of the community. Like these are, these are like, I would say these are obviously probably the most visible community members that Wizards has that's not a pro or not working for them. I would totally agree. Like Aaron Forsyth well, being in R&D. Okay, working for them, yeah. I, I mean Aaron Forsyth in R&D might be a little bit of a cop-out, but still... Aaron doesn't play enough magic because of his job as the the overseer of R and D. Um, but like you said, they they want people that people are going to know. I, I think the least known person up there is probably the girlfriend bracket, and they're still very well known. So it's not like these are nobodies. Like I would love to see Ian or I up there at some point in time if this has enough iterations to get to that point in time. Dude, that's that's the dream one day, or even that's, a streamer showdown with you and I co-hosting. That'd oh, be fun. that would be fun. That'd be so much but fun. That aside, those are long-term goals. Who knows if it will ever happen or not? But I just think that, I mean, who else would you put in there? Like, it's one of those like, all right, you're doing this community super league. Who would you put in there for Let's the first see, one? I would. The only people who I could think of who would be eligible would be other pros such as like LSV, but he's test, he's probably gonna be busy with Pro Tour and all of his other things. Other people I would think of are like Neil Oliver because he streams a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Doc would be someone who I would strongly consider for that posi- for a spot up there as well. I consider um, you know Il- uh, um, Ilian. I think he yeah. streams right. Mrs. Mulligan. Mrs. Mulligan. Um, Shemahay. I don't know if I said yep. that name right. Yeah. M. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, there's 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 a decent bunch. I mean, like you could just look at who they've featured a lot on some of the. Uh, more recent i know the the streamer showdown's coming up tomorrow yeah it's tomorrow uh has a bunch of newer relatively newer names like the gamers dome and all those some of the guys, guys like that are going to be doing it so it's, they have options but i think for this first one this first iteration they definitely 
needed to put the more visible members out there. I and I'm cool with that. Other Perfectly person that fine. just came to mind, Frank Lepore. Oh, yeah. Obviously, Frank Lepore would be great for But that. again, they could do different I mean, iterations. You mean Audric's? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot Audric is a planeswalker now. Um, <laughs> so, no, I think that those are definitely some strong contenders. Also, what they could do with the Community Super League is they could just basically go, you know what? These 10 were great. We're gonna throw. We're gonna kind of not necessarily like toss them to the side, but we're gonna swap all ten out wholesale and put ten new people in. Like with the VSL, the way that they structured the VSL and kind of what they did with the standard Super League as well is it's if you're in last, you have to fight your way back in. But with the Community Super League, there's no such expectations. It's not there to be a competitive. I want to test my metal against you. Yeah, I even it's funny. I accidentally suggested. I'm like, you should, should. I saw Aaron from the girlfriend bracket saying, I need to play more of this, like some of these cool, funky standard decks. I'm like, why don't you just do this on the Super League? I had forgotten to scan. Like, I just brain farted the part about that it was like Noban Modern, Momir, and all these other things. And well, it wasn't they, just I think, like I think the idea is that they have ten different formats. Yeah, so they might play standard at one point, they but I know she wanted to play something, some other crazy decks. But we'll get into some standard decks later. Also, another thing to note is that they have the Brewmastered points, so you can get points in the Community Super League for spicy decks. With the exception of Momir. With the exception of Momir, unless you really want to trick out your basic lands. Ooh. Monoplanes, bro. Monoplanes. Yeah, but then you lose to all those planeswalkers. Boo. <laughs> okay, that's Boo. like a, that one's like a C+. You Anyways, that let's talk about what's happening this weekend, which is the Pro Tour... Ian, real quick, what's the Pro Tour? The Pro Tour is an event where you have to actually earn an invite. This is not your mom and pop's Grand Prix where you can just register a couple days beforehand, beat that uh, that cutoff. No, you have to win an invite to this. Uh, the top eight? The top eight of any Grand Prix plus yes, people eight. who go 13 and 2. It's 39, oh, yes. it's 30, I, it's 39 match points. Right, they made that change. Everyone who's 39 match points or more because there were people who would go get those 39 match points and miss a cut with how big some of these Grand Prix have gotten. Yeah. Um, also, people who win online uh, mocks events, I believe, get one. I believe so. Also, uh, and also people who win regional Pro Tour qualifiers or RPTQs. Uh, for the RPTQs, it's not winners. It's top oh, four huh. or top eight depending on size. So, like, if you ha- there's a certain number of people who go to an RPTQ that the top eight will qualify instead of the top four. Right. But to in get to an to RPTQ, to those, you have to go win a PPTQ or a pre-Pro Tour qualifier. Preliminary Pro Tour qualifier, yeah. And it's pre- a little bit more acronym soup than it was in the old system, but I think the system's actually a little bit better. Uh, the big thing about the RPTQs is that they are scheduled every season for two weekends, and you can take your invite and go to any of the RPTQs around the globe. And there are also online PPTQ and RPTQs. Exactly. So that is the what. Let's talk about the when. We said it this weekend. It is April 22nd through April 24th, and it is a three-day event. This is the only Magic event that I can think of, aside from maybe the World Championships, which is a full three-day event. Yeah, and this is this is discounting Grand Prix that are some Grand Prix actually do three-day events now, where the but the main event's not three days. For the Pro Tour, Correct. the main event is three days. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the, some Grand Prix do that whole, like, first day with the special thing. I know Channel Fireball has been doing the ones where it's like, hey, we have this, like, cool little workshops and stuff first yeah, day. Yeah, meet greets or Make, make it more of a magic convention like how GP, GP Vegas was too. But, yeah, this one. So, day one, April 22nd, Friday at – all right, so this, this is being held in Barcelona, Spain. So – Keep in mind, for those of us who are stateside, this is going to be stupidly early in the morning. How stupidly early, you ask? 
John? So the stream starts at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is midnight Pacific stand- or Pacific Daylight Time, because we're in Daylight Time, right? Daylight right. Time. So that means it is starting either bloody early in the morning or bloody late at night, depending on where you are. So my, my, my view on this, my frame of reference, reference is going to be, okay, I'm going to wake up, go to work, and when I come home, I can look at I can watch all the videos because there's no way I'm going to stay up and watch it all night live. No, no. Oh, I mean, you could, I mean, you just have Friday to worry about. But anyway, so Friday, day I one. I work at 7 a.m. and it starts at 2 a.m. my time. I start at 6. Come on, man. <laughs> Suck it. No, I'm kidding. Anyway, so day one on Friday, bright and early for the competitors, is three rounds of Shadows over Innistrad draft, followed by five rounds of Standard. So you're going to get eight rounds on the day. You're going to repeat that again on, on the 23rd, three rounds of draft, five rounds of standard. So you have to be well-versed in both formats. However, the day two is that you have to have a four or four record or better. So you have to be at least a 500 winning percentage to make it to day two. So if you scrub out of your draft, 03 out of your draft, which there are going to be 03 drafters. Yes, there It's going to happen in your pod of eight. But what will happen is you have to basically go pedal the metal in standard and hope you have an insane deck because you pick up two losses after you owe three your draft, you're done. Yeah. You might as well just go you better find hope you broke events. the format. Yeah. Going one and two and then three and two, perfect. That'll get you in. However, if your goal is to play on day three, well, that's your top eight. Not there's not there's no top eight on day two. The top eight plays all of their games separately on Sunday, April twenty fourth. And the reason why they do this is because they have now switched this to best of five games. So you're normally used to playing best of three games where the first person to two wins, wins the match. But the big thing that they've changed, they changed it at the last Pro Tour, is best of five games. So now, not I'm not sitting here, I, want, I don't need to win two games, I need to win three games. But there's a bit, another change they added on. Right. Now, some decks are what we know, sideboards are a big thing. Namely, a good example of this is in uh, Modern, where you have a lot of artifact hate that people put in their sideboards. So you go to these best of five games, all of a sudden, if you're playing an artifact-based deck, you're facing four games against all these hate cards for your deck. Meaning in Standard, you could have that as well. For example, the White, can, can, deck is, the White Weenie deck is going to be very soft to Wraths. Right, you could, or you could be playing a token-based deck and somebody could be playing a black-based control deck and play Virulent, Virulent Plague, which gives all creature tokens minus two, minus two. And they, ha- they could put one or two of those in their sideboard and you got to face four games against an enchantment that just destroys your deck. And you literally just basically, if they stick that, you're like, well, I could basically be done here. So what they did is the first two games are pre-sideboarded. So if you have a strong pre-sideboard deck... You could potentially take the first two games and then have to struggle to win one of the final three. Yeah, so that basically takes the onus off of the sideboard games, which, as you said, are decks that are weak to sideboard hate. So that means that that white weenie aggressive deck has two games against the control deck where it's heavily favored and now needs to pick up one out of the next three games where you're fighting all of the appropriate sideboard hate from your opponent. What this also helps to do too, let alone sideboard hate, and we've seen this before, is you go to these, you make the, you make the day three of a pro tour, and you just go your first round, you go mold a three, and you're screwed. And then the next game, you just have a very bad matchup against your opponent, and because you basically if you mold a three, you're like 
you end up like getting flooded out or just mana starved. You only draw one land. You could end up not knowing what your opponent's playing, so you don't even side- know how to sideboard against it. It could just get rolled in the next game, and you've barely played a game of Magic on day three of a Pro Tour. The big thing to remember, though, is that for the top eight, every player is given a deck list. Oh, yeah, right. So, But, but even then, you can still potentially just be a deck where you need to win that game one if you're playing a best of three. Like, you're, you're banking on winning that game one, and if you don't win that game one, you're soft to the sideboard hate. For example, a deck that does this a lot in, in Vintage is Dredge. Dredge, Dredge has like a 90% win percentage on game one, and then just a terrible win percentage in games two and three because of all the sideboard hate people bring in. Right, it, and it's just incidental hate cards. So it's one of those great changes where, and another reason why day three is just devoted solely to these rounds is because they will be showing most of them single individually. So you're going to get... No, they actually change. Oh, Remember they the change? The, oh, yeah. the, the, they have the, the quarterfinals are played side by side. Right, so the quarterfinals are, but the semifinals AP, and, and the, the other yeah. ones. The semifinals and the finals will be played as they are. Right. They'll be played but, so, one after the other. Which is nice because you get to see all of those games. And those, I believe, are not timed. Yeah, the, the top eight is an untimed event, just like the top eight of a Grand Prix would be. All the other rounds from day one and day two, those are timed under the normal constraints that you would have at an FNM or at a Grand Prix. Everything else, however, is untimed, which. Is part of the reason probably why Even Flock won Pro Tour M15 with the blue white control deck with no win conditions in the main deck. Oh my gosh, that deck was insane. The Flying Sheep. Oh god. We might have to do like a retrospective episode if we ever get the chance to. Oh, I would love just, to. Where we just go like, oh yeah, this was the thing that happened at the Pro Tour. <laughs> that deck was so funny. Oh, that deck it. was that. Oh, I hated that deck so much. Anyways. That is when the Pro Tour is. That is where, where the Pro Tour is, out in Barcelona, starting bloody early for those of us in the States. Everybody else, you can appropriately check your uh, time zones. For when check, you your check your local listings. Check your local listings. Have fun with time zones. But also, you can watch this on twitch.tv slash magic or on their YouTube channel. Let me tell you what. When I discovered that they did this stuff on YouTube, I was so happy because in Afghanistan, I won't lie, I watched some of it at work because I had access to YouTube and not Twitch. It was blocked. Like, YouTube was, wasn't blocked for my computer systems and but stuff Twitch like that. Was. Twitch was. Yeah. So I was able to watch some of that stuff and then watch recaps. It was great. To at least, I had two monitors, so I would yeah. put it on the side walls doing my like busy slogging through uh, spreadsheets. Yeah. So the big thing, another big thing about um, this is that it's the these are the big events. They are four every year. They are huge events. The structure is pretty much the same. For example, when we go to Eldritch Moon, which that Pro Tour, I believe, is in July, June or July, it will be three rounds of Eldritch Moon draft, five rounds of standard, and repeats, and it'll repeat that. So when we get to lock in the fall, which apparently Mark Rosewater is super hype about, we'll, we'll find out more about that later. Dude, it'll have on. this. It, it's Rosewater. He's like on perma hype. No, this is like hype even for him. Whoa. <laughs> also, if you if you want to laugh, look up Mark Rosewater and on fleek with the dank memes. Just oh no! <laughs> look that up. At, look that up at your leisure. I will. So um, that is about. So thing, yeah. So uh, one thing though, I kind of want to actually bring up is that day three making that top eight. It's so hard to top eight one of these oh, that God, it's yeah. almost a prestige in itself to top eight a pro tour, then win it. For example, you can be a pro tour champion, fine, but you have like. When they look at Hall of Fame, they don't look at – they like looking at wins, 
but they'll judge you more on your top eight finishes than anything else. Yeah, there are a ton of players that have like one Pro Tour championship and nothing else, and they're not in the in the Hall of Fame. But you look at Kai Buda, who also happens to win a bunch of Pro Tours, but he also has something an absurd number of top eights. Like uh, LSV who is, is top it, um, a, had that run where he was just top eighting everything left and right. Yeah, didn't like Shota Yasuoka have like fourteen top eights? He, he's insane. Yeah, like so, in a good way, in, in in the best way possible that we can possibly say. So if you make that top eight, I think it almost. It, I know top eighting qualifies you for the next pro tour. Oh, it's like instant platinum. I think. No, no, no. Winning is instant platinum. Right, winning is instant platinum. That's a well. That's a guaranteed invite to the next one. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who you don't know, the there train. are there are levels in the pro tour club. Silver gets you a invite to the next pro tour and flight. Gold qualifies you for the next season or for the rest of this season and the next season, and Platinum does that as well. And then there's also other things, like, for example, people in the Pro Players Club can get appearance fees for going to GPs. And platinum, yes. You basically can show up and not even cash the event, but still technically cash the event. It's it's more so like they pay like the money pays for your flight, it turns out. But anyways... It's still a flight. <laughs> it's, it's still a flight. And depending on who you are and where you are and where you're flying to, that's a big deal. So let that's the who, it, when, where... And we did a little bit of the why. It's it's prestige. Oh, also, winner of the Pro Tour goes to the world is automatically qualified for the World Championships, which happens in the uh, fall, in the winter. So that's yeah. something to look forward to. Oh yeah. So what are we? So we mentioned the formats. We're hitting limited and standard. Pro tours, like a lot of these pros and stuff like that. The biggest thing that's kind of happened in the last couple of years are teams, and you'll hear this a lot over the weekend. Is like testing teams. Now, these testing teams are there to test the format against each other because, you know, you can go on your, by yourself and play online and do really well like some people like Sean McLaren have, Lone Wolf style. But people have found that having a team bouncing ideas off of other people, picking up decks and stuff like that that they might not have just because someone's like, look, I'm sticking by this deck. This deck is amazing. And it could be like you hear more often than not like – Oh yeah, he was just on that deck the entire weekend and we were all like looking through these decks and playing these decks and he was just slowly churning out like 60-70% win percentages on this deck and we we're like, wait a minute, let's try this deck and they made a couple tweaks to it and all of a sudden it was pulling like 80 win percentage against their gauntlet, yeah. which is the decks that they, the random stock lists that they throw against it and that kind of thing allows you to have that thing. Also with stuff like Limited, you have a lot of brain power, and these, some of these people are insane drafters. You have like some teams might have like a draft specialist or a constructed specialist, where the draft guy is going to be like, "Look, these are the things to look out for. If you see these cards, just take them. They're the best cards there. Look for these uh, archetypes." So, John, tell me some archetypes. What what we see people try so, to go for? There's a lot of archetypes, and in every draft, there are each two color pair is given a little bit of an identity. So, for example, in Shadows of Innistrad, you have all the allied color pairs being associated with a certain tribe. So you have green-white humans, white-blue spirits, blue-black zombies, red-black vampires, and red-green werewolves. A neat thing that they added to a twist on this is that all the enemy color pairs are associated with a specific mechanic. So, for example, blue-green, the Simic color pair, is all about investigate and making clues. And a lot of the really big payoff cards for the clue deck are in blue and green. Then you also have Black green delirium, black white tokens ish idea, and red white is just kind of beat your face in. <laughs> Smash the face. Smash the face. Because as as Hearthstone streamers are wont to tell you, face is the place. Now, ah, <laughs> oh, you crossed it. Why'd you bring? I know. I'm sorry. I crossed the streams. It's terrible. 
<laughs> so the big thing that we're going to hear on day one at the start is, A, you always watch a live draft. And then while players are deck building, you watch another player at that table draft. And it's usually a table that the commentators, which the commentary team is usually Randy Bueller, Brian David Marshall, Marshall Sutcliffe, um, uh, Tim Willoughby, uh, Gabby Sparch is going to be commentating this year, which is going to be very exciting. Oh, yeah. Um, and then sometimes LSV if he does a top eight. Oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, we got no. other pros. Efro, Efro makes it, too. Sometimes, he got, yeah. He showed up there, too, on day three. He hasn't made the finals. But We've mentioned Marshall Sutcliffe a few times, and he is the limited resources guy, and he is friends with most of the pros. So you know what he's doing right now and what he's been doing the whole week? is going to people and go, hey, Ian, what do you, uh, what do you like in this format? What do you think is good? What's the best strategy? He's doing that all tomorrow and all, and all the Friday before. And you also got you also got to mention though, that he's drafting a lot. Oh right god, now, like so. he's the one. Like I don't think there's anybody on the planet who's not a pro who's drafting more than Marshall. He's a fiend. He's a fiend. So the decks that I've kind of highlighted as the ones that I want to look at and see which ones show up the most. Blue green clues. This is a deck that I think has a lot of staying power. And it's very interesting to draft. So on Monday, I went to my local game store and we did a draft and we had 12 people. So we did two six-man pods. And I drafted the blue-green clues deck. Uh, granted, I was also splashing white for Bound by Moonsilver and <coughs> triple Angelic Purge. <coughs> you're, you're a disgusting person. And I, I love it. It was terrible. I, went, I, I, I think I dropped two games because I lost to the Nut um, Vampire deck and I lost another game because I molded the four. However, that deck has a lot of really powerful cards that that rewards you for investigating. Erdwall Illuminator, the 1-3 for one of the blue that with flying, that whenever you investigate, you investigate an additional time. So you good. also have Graphmole, the 2-4 for three. I keep thinking that card is four mana for some reason. That says whenever you sacrifice a clue, you gain three life. Uh, Daring Sleuth is a card that might get there, I don't know. But You've got Uvenwald, uh Uvenwald Mysteries. That card is absurd. That card is so good. Oh I, had an opponent, I had an opponent stick it against me and sealed online, and I was just like, "Oh God!" Yeah, it's, it's really hard to beat that. It's really hard to beat that card without. Well, without I should. Some sort I should also. Mention, I should also mention they had like four clue tokens down already when they stuck that. So yeah, I was just like, "Ooh, ooh honey." Uh, then you also have really powerful rares in that archetype. For example, Tireless Tracker is amazing in that deck. Mm-hmm. So also, there's the payoff cards like there's uh, Confront the Unknown, which is a giant growth for the number of clues you have. Dude, also, the big, the big I love that card. I love that card. So another thing to note about the about most of the clue synergy cards is that they all say when you sacrifice a clue, they don't care how you sack it. You could blow it up. I could sack it to Angelic Purge and exile your dude. Dude, that's like one of the main things I've like with Angelic Purge. I look okay. Do I have excess land in my hand? If yes, cool. I'll blow up a land. Do I not have excess land? Do I have a spirit token? Maybe I'll blow up my spirit token. Uh, yeah. If I don't have any of those. I'll blow up a clue. I will gladly take the card, like losing the draw a card for, okay, I can just play this and get something that I got incidentally. Yeah. I had, I had, in in that deck I had. Yeah, with those clue decks though, like the best ones will give you clues just incidentally for you just playing magic. Like if you don't, like if you have to go out of your way to generate clues, you're probably drafted the deck wrong. Yeah. So I had, so in the deck I had, I actually had a, a turn where I went, okay, pay three mana, Sack my clue to Angelic Purge, gain three life, put a counter on my tireless tracker, exile your guy. Blew it. was terrible. Um, and then there was a game. There's a game where I attacked and I confronted the unknown for eight. Nice. Yeah. Um, there's also a game that I won with zero cards in my deck because I also had everybody's favorite counter spell, confront the unknown. 
and, I, and, I, and I had my Erdwald Illuminator in place, so I investigated four times. That's the five mana one that you investigate three times, right? And you, yeah, and you counter a spell. Yeah, that card was absurd because I just like counter your counter your card to get you back in the game. It was see, great. I could I could totally see a pro if they like that clues deck being like, all right, I'm just gonna pull this. Like if they open a a relatively eh first pack with Tamio's journal in it. Oh, Tamio's journal. Oh, I would love to. I could see them. I could see them going like, I'm gonna just take this Tamio's journal just in case I see the clues deck open and just go in the clues deck. I mean, it, the clues deck seems to have more uncommon payoffs than regular payoffs, so it really will depend on whether or not that deck has what you what you need. Now, I have been loving some of the green X decks, like the where <laughs> I haven't gotten a chance to draft it or play it in sealed. But my God, I want to play a werewolves deck. It they just look so much fun. Having played the werewolves deck in sealed, it is it's pretty solid. Also, another thing that that is kind of harder to to work with. Is not necessarily drafting it because you can draft a really good werewolves deck. I did have a curve where I went neckbreaker, equip uh, the neglected heirloom, pass the turn. Uh, next, they don't cast a spell. Next turn, it flips. The neglected heirloom flips into the ashmouth blade, and suddenly I have a seven or seven six first striker that gets plus one plus one and trample whenever it attacks. Herf. Now, that's not the worst one I've heard, because I have heard of a curve that went turn one neglected heirloom, turn two um, hinterland logger, turn three equip pass. But yeah. The werewolf's, deck, the werewolf's deck is the one that will punish you the most if you are any bit slow. If you yes. go, I've got three lands and I've got you know a three drop and a couple of my higher end cards, I'll be fine. And then they just go like turn two hinterland logger or turn two Keswick Forge Master, yeah. which is the that's two one that, that pings when it blocks. Or when no, it flips, it shocks when it blocks. Oh, God. Yeah, I have no doubt that pros have identified the fact that you are going to, like, unlike other formats where you could be like, I could literally just have my curve start at three and be okay. You need one and two drops in this format. You need to be able to play potentially two spells in one turn. Because if your opponent has one of their payoff creatures, like, say they somehow have a rare Gyre Reach Bandit, which is flipped. Oh, on that, card is, that card is the, dumb. Or it's the... Uh, Something I've had it. Up. I've had it flipped in play before. And what it, it says is, and what that card says, for those who don't know, it's basically the backside of it says, "All werewolf cards enter transformed." Well, they enter the battlefield, and then they and then you transform them. Yeah. So, so for example, they, I, I actually had the, I actually had a guy reach bandit in the deck with uh, neckbreaker or uh, breakneck rider, and I had it flipped into build and pack alpha, which is a four three, and I had like three other creatures to play, and I go, okay, cast breakneck rider, flip breakneck rider, go to combat to kill you. Yep. It was dumb. So the red-green werewolves deck is definitely a, a, a deck that you need to keep your eye out for when you're drafting at home, just to make sure that you don't suddenly, accidentally lose to it. Uh, another I, another card that I would be another deck that I'm looking at in the aggressive tilt is the black-red deck. Dude, I've, I've played. I've some of my steel pulls have lent to a like sideboard black-red deck. If I'm like, all right, I need to go fast, I'll just do this. I've had turns where I've basically just gone like. Uh, I will play some. Oh, it was a. Uh, it's like turn one DNA. I had no, I had, I had uh, the twins of Mara stayed out, so it's a three five for five. So the I had that for out. three. I had them out already, and I had the murderer's axe, which gives plus two plus two, and equip cost is discard a card. Yeah. So what I did was I had four mana out because obviously for that, so I basically was like, all right, equip on that, discard fiery temper, madness it out. Kill, kill your untapped blocker that you played uh, your second main. 
then re-equip it to the same creature, play out my madness guy. Or no, no, I went, Murderer's, I went, Murderer's Axe is such a sweet discard no, outlet. That. I went, I played the Incorrigible Use, which is the 4-3 the with haste yeah. for 3 madness. So I played that out, and then I equipped the, uh, I just basically like swapped the equipment around, burned out somebody for basically lightning bolted, and played a 4-3 haster for 4 mana and swung for 5, 9 damage. Yeah, that's pretty absurd. <laughs> I was like, I love this deck. It's great. The Blackguard of Vampires deck might be faster than the Werewolves deck because of the fact that you can get all these really powerful cards much cheaper than you normally would. But Plus, plus a lot of other strategies aren't going to want to be borrowing some cards from it. Like, you're not going to... People aren't going to want a lot of the Madness outlets, like the discard outlets and stuff like that, unless you're uh, playing it. depends on the outlet. For example, no, for example, Call the Bloodline is a deck that is a card that almost every black deck wants. I'm talking like some of the corner case ones, like the uh, Ravenous Bloodseeker. Oh yeah, that guy. Ravenous yeah. Bloodseeker, you're gonna if you're if you're already in a vampire's archetype, probably you might be the only one there drafting it. So you might get a bunch of those guys, um, or you might get something like the Incorrigible Use. Granted, it's a great card anyway. On top of that, but if you if you're already like hedging off or cutting off a bunch of the signals and stuff like that you can get that yeah um another i I love the uh, i love the green white humans deck (laughs) the green white humans deck can be has some really absurd draws as well where you're just able to go kill you Um, let's let's put let's put it this way be afraid if your opponent has four mana untapped if they're playing white yeah because of tenacity oh my god i've blown so many people out with that card like, I'm down, like, seven or eight life, and I swing with all my creatures, and I'm like, all right, fine, I can take, like, six damage, and they'll blo- like they'll just chump block, like, they're not, they'll just bounce a couple guys off of each other, because there's no actual real, like, kills, and then they'll be like, all right, cool, they go untap, swing, would be for lethal, and I'm like, all right, I untap all my guys, I gain 15 life, and now all your guys are dead. Yeah, Tenacity <laughs> is a really, really rough card. Thank God it's an uncommon. Yeah, it's, it's plus, it gives, it's a four, three and a white. Plus one, plus one, and gain life. All creatures you control gain plus one, plus one, and lifelink, and untap them. So it's even it's even better on blocks. Oh yeah, because you can just if go. If that were possible, you can, just, you can just blow them out on blocks, and then they can maybe maybe put like one or two guys down on their second main, and you just have all of your creatures still there. Yeah, it's it's absurd. Um, the decks that I've been drafting, well, one of my favorite decks I drafted is this three color monstrosity, which is the blue black control madness deck. It's basically Reckless Scholar dot deck, and <laughs> love it. I was playing, so I was playing blue black control, and I opened from from under the floorboards, and I drafted it, and I was like, cool, sweet. Uh, and in pack two, I got past, I got, I wheeled out of another pack a Geist Blast, which is tune a red to shock a creature or player, or you can pay tune a blue and exile from your graveyard to, to copy a spell. I remember this deck. Oh yes, that was so much fun. Oh god, I cast, oh, I, the, I, I madnessed it at the end of turn against one of my opponents for uh, x equals eight with enough mana to copy it and put 16 two two zombies into play and gain 16 life using geist blast using geist blast oh so good and so nasty not now my favorite version of this deck was actually a deck i drafted on magic online where i had a really interesting pack one pick one because i opened my rare i opened was bygone bishop okay but my foil was from under the floorboards magic the floorboards and in pack two i opened from under the floorboards floorboards.dick and so I was drafting this deck and I noticed that I wasn't getting past a lot of good black cards so I was I had gotten a lot of good blue cards and so I started taking the green cards because the green cards were flowing very well 
then I picked up like a late Geist Blast or whatever, and I noticed that I was playing a deck that was essentially just blue-green, splashing black for from under the floorboards, and red for Geist Blast. <laughs> Four color good stuff. I had oh. I had two woodland streams, one Highland one Highland Lake, one Warped Landscape, plus I had a um, Weirding Wilds. The Tuna Green enchantment that makes your land tap for two of any color. Mm-hmm. My mana base was super weird because I had like one mountain, two swamps, like f- six forests and five islands, or something along those lines, alongside those other lands. Yeah, it'll work. It'll work. <laughs> uh, I did lose a game. I did lose one of the matches, but I won mat- one match because of buy, and then I won another match because I, on one turn, madnessed out from under the floorboards, and then on the next turn, madnessed it out again and forked it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was dumb. But- but yeah, so the cool part is like there's a lot of fun archetypes. Which one are the best archetypes? Obviously, are going to be dictated by where people are se- seated. But of these, what do you think people are going to think are probably the best? Because you know, it really you depends say- on who you are. Because um, li- listening to one of Limited Resources podcasts, they were talking to Mike Sigrist, and Mike Sigrist really likes decks that have inevitability. He likes the decks that can go long, even in, even in draft, which is can be much quicker. So I would think that if you're along the lines of a Mike Sigrist who wants inevitability. The blue green clues deck is pretty solid. It does a lot of really powerful things. However, if you're more on the side of wanting to beat down the red, the red X, the red X aggro decks, they could do some damage. Yeah. Now I read a article who's for Richie on Terry because he just won, uh, the limited grand prix out right. in, uh, Spain he won in uh, Madrid, right? Yeah. Yeah. He won the Madrid GP this last weekend. And he was writing about kind of that same thing. Like, games are going to, like, the decks that will go quick will can fizzle out quickly. You want a deck that's going to go long and be able to play the long game, but also have those quick quick drops. So, it's, it's, you're going to be more rewarded with a solid curve and a deck that can play well in the late game as well as defensively handle the early game and settle in after a while. One of the things that I picked up on on Oath of the Gate Watch, which was, I don't think I saw anybody who actually kind of agreed with my opinion on that. And I think it really goes double for, for this, for this format is that if you want to hit the late game, you need to earn it. If you want to draft a control deck, if you want to draft the clues deck, if you want to draft these slow grindier decks, you got to earn your way there because these werewolf decks and these vampire decks will run you over. Stumble on a land, stumble on a land drop or be unable to play a spell or two spells to flip back a, a, a vampire, or a transform werewolf, or whatever you're going to be hosed. Oh yeah. So but, I, I'm not sure exactly what the pros. I know that the the four, the three to four color good stuff is not the best archetype. I'm pretty sure. I like, would I would guess that. Like Louis but, LSV did say he had a draft where he was playing a three color deck where he started looping Avacyn's Judgment with <laughs> Epitaph Golem. Yes, that was he, hilarious. Because he milled himself and just kept looping Avacyn's Judgment to kill his opponent. I thought that was hilarious. But they, but with that you're banking on your opponent not being able to kill that golem. So yeah, so I think it really depends. Well, I mean, the ultimate maximum of limited is what's the best deck? The one that's open for your seat. Correct. But the one that the one that pro, the pros are going to gravitate towards, it could just be blue green clues. Yeah, or if whatever they feel fits their playstyle. Now, one thing that we do need to mention with limited is the dual face cards, and this is something unique to both the Innistrad blocks due to the. L- just the nature of the transform cards, like some of the were- vampires transform, but mostly the werewolf cards. There are a couple of rares that transform or flip, like Avacyn or Thing uh, of the Ice, West- Thing of the Ice, Westville Abbey. Abbey. 
So how you're supposed to draft that is you're supposed to announce the cards that are dual faced in your thing, in your uh, in your uh, in your pot. booster, in your booster. Now the issue with this is sitting at a rectangular table, the people who are in the center four seats have a potential to it's it is gonna unfortunately it's known information because you have to announce it and you can see basically who's getting which card because it's gonna be dual faced and stuff like that. People in the center four seats, if you're sitting at a rectangle table, have better advantage. Now to the pros brought this up on Twitter and they were like, oh and Watson was like, oh crap, we need to look into this and they just decided to go with the all cards are going to be pre-sleeved. Now I feel bad for that intern. Oh God, I feel bad for that intern. It's it's a lot. Now the Grand Prix are huge. Pro tours are smaller, but they're still. God, what was the last one? Like, There's like it's not it's not over it's a 400, couple, but it's like it's somewhere couple, between 300 and 400. It's a couple hundred people, and they need to sleeve every single card. It's going to be a lot of sleeves. Now the main issue is because they don't want somebody who they basically don't want to have. A controversy or anything like that where someone could see like I was sitting on the end of a table I went 0 and 3 and then but the guy who was sitting next to me who was in the center of a table went 3 and 0 because yeah. then it could be like oh I was at a disadvantage compared to him they don't want that so there's like all right everybody now they were like oh yeah you can have circular tables or square tables where everyone has an equal number of seats per side if it's a square or just a round table you'll, you'll see round tables at the feature match at the feature draft tables you won't see those round tables. They weren't able to procure enough or procure enough square tables outside of that for the other dra- like hundreds of people drafting to make it fair. So they just basically said, we're going to sleeve all the cards. Some of the pros were a little unhappy about that. I mean, that's now, fair to say. I mean, they've been preparing as though the double face cards are going to be open information. And being, having it be open information is much different than having it be concealed information because that's normally how draft works is if you're sitting on magic online ian if you're sitting to my right you don't know that i open archangel avison and that i took her you don't even know that card exists in the draft and see in paper if i open archangel avison you're going to look at me and you go dude a awesome b what the hell so here's a fun thing about that tom ross posted a poll the other day uh saying all right you're i'm at a draft i open up archangel avison I have BBD, Brian Brondoin, sitting next to me. He also opens an Avacyn. But my rare in the pack is a Jace. So I have to choose between a Jace or an Avacyn. Do I pick the Avacyn to prevent Brian, the BBD, who you know is going to pick that Avacyn next to you? Do you risk passing him a second one? Or do you take, or do you so take it? You're sitting, to, you're sitting to the right of BBD. You're left. You're sitting – like he's to your right. So you're being, you're being – pat or. Yeah, you're passing. In order for that to work, you're, you're sitting yeah, you're, to his right. Yeah, you're, you're passing his to right. BBD. Right. Yeah, you're passing to him. Okay, so BBD opens an Avacyn. You open an Avacyn. You're passing to BBD. Oh, God. Okay, here's what I would do. I would take the Avacyn and hard cut white. Right. That, that's, not, uh, that's an action you can do. You can basically go, that's a nice, nice, that's a nice Avacyn you opened. I also opened one, so I'm going to take it, and I'm going to make sure you get no good white cards. Or what you could do is you could just completely say, you know what, I'm just going to hate this and then start picking everything else out and pick completely different and throw them off. Yeah. Now, what ended up happening is uh, I think it was 75% <laughs> said they would just pick the Avacyn of as course. a result of that. She's a $50 card. Oh my gosh, even, she's $50. Even if, even if you're money drafting. But now one thing though with this, like the people who seem to be up in arms against it and I'm, I'm – it was more of a last minute change to it that people were kind of eh about. And I agree with that. Like, like it's something you figure like, 
shouldn't they have thought of this by now? I mean, I mean, we the biggest, this, the biggest complaint this that I saw people yeah. say is, why not just put checklist cards? Right. And, and the, but the thing is, like, Wizards is a big company, and they outsource a lot of they outsource all their printing. There's no way that they could. That I doubt they found out this in enough time to be able to go to one of their printers and go, "Hey, can you print up a couple thousand of each double face card? Thanks, or each each checklist card? Thanks." Well, another thing, though, is with the sleeve thing is the t- people who've been complaining have been the people who are the pros we've seen vocally um, upset about this, or the ones who have been banking, like you said, banking on that known information. They've been practicing on how to read that known information. Because yeah. it's at this level of drafting at a pro tour, you're everyone's just that much better. So you need to be that good at drafting, at reading those signals, especially when you have known information finally. It's great. People who are like whatever have been drafting online. Yeah. Uh, funnily enough, Owen Turtenwald pointed out a hilarious flaw in the system. He's like, what if I want to read the backside of one of these dual cards? Yeah. You're basically going to give away the fact that you have a dual face card in your deck to look at the backside of a card. Yeah. So you potentially have to hide, like secretly hide the card that you're looking at. I know those, that you like, can. I know re- that in game you can ask a judge for the oracle text on any card. Correct. So you're going to be. But these drafts are timed, which is the, well, right. which is the, well, another thing is too. You can't here. actually look at the the cards you're drafting until in between the rounds. So you're going to have like that brief moment where you're flicking through your cards. We're going to have to like quickly unsleeve it and look and see what the back of the card doesn't sleeve it back up again and pray to God that your person next to you doesn't look over. I mean, that's just kind of like cheating yeah. potentially, but not really cheating, but more just dishonesty. Yeah. So anyway, but drafts should be fun. It's going to be interesting. I hope, I wonder if they're going to take some of this more storyline approach where they're going to follow a person through a draft. I mean, they, they tend to do that anyways. They always show the people who draft on video who drafted in round one, but we can see it. I mean, the pro tour is all about stories anyways. Yeah. So let me decide. It'll be fun. Not much we can really learn new and different from we can, we can learn like what the pros favor, what the pros are picking highly, but at the end of the day, just draft the deck that's open in your seat. If you see, if you see a third pick, I don't know, Reckless Scholar, Blue might be open. So, yeah. so what we can learn is from Standard, oh, which standard. is which is ten rounds for both days, not counting the days. top eight, not counting top eight, but ten rounds of Standard in day one and two. Now, the great part about a Pro Tour, especially a Standard Pro Tour, is yeah, we've had two SCG events already. We've had an open. We've actually had two opens. So we've had two opens, but one of them occurred during the Invitational, which had more standard than usual because they dropped Legacy as an event or as a format. So we've had a chance to get some of the pre, kind of like the early meta setup coming into this weekend. The Pro Tours have been known to set the pace for the entire season. Yeah. So what what we're going to figure out is... What are the real decks? Like we have, we've seen that White Weenie has been dominant. Like it dominant won. is probably an understatement. Really, has have the pros figured out a deck better than the White Weenie deck, or or, or the various white X, so white green or white blue humans decks that have been popping yeah. up, or will Collected Company still be the dominant force that it was in the early part of this meta game? Like the, the 20, 20 out of 32 of the top decks in the open were like Coco decks or something. Yeah, it was just absurd. Like, it really depends on what the pros have figured out by playtesting this a bunch, playing with playing against each other, playing on Magic Online, 
trying to figure out where the edges they can get are. Because, like, a big thing is, is there a control deck in this format that is good? Like, there is an Esper control deck that, or, like, there's, like, Esper Dragons. There could be an, a regular Esper control deck or whatever. But is it good? Can it get there? Can it stop the White Weenie decks? Because the White Weenie decks have a pretty sick curve where it's, like, turn one, Expedition Envoy, turn two, Thalia's Lieutenant, turn three, um, always watching. So the thing I've noticed with some of these control decks is they're usually black, white based, potentially splashing into blue. Problem that these blue, any blue base, any blue base control decks. We also have that re- awesome uh, blue red control. The Pirates goggles deck. Oh, yeah. the blue red goggles control. That's fun. That one can handle stuff at instant speed, but it's mostly it resolves and then kills it. Kind yeah. of instant speed thing. We don't have a good counter spell in standard right now. No, we really don't. We don't. We don't have the. We don't have hyper, good card draw. Really, we don't have. We, yeah. Oh, that's even worse for them too. Is like we don't have the hyper like the the I think the most hyper efficient. And you can use hard quotes on hyper efficient on this one is Silmgar Scorn. Yeah. Essentially blue blue. It's essentially counter spell if you have a dragon. If you don't, it's force spike. Force spike. It, so you're looking at. Weak a weak counter suite plus your card draw. We lost dig through time. We lost treasure cruise. Those two right there were what Lynch powered picks. powered these blue base control de- any blues X control deck to have that card advantage to go late. You got to look now at something like these black white mid range decks, which are like feigning control elements of the kill and exile effects. Yeah, that, it's like, like Soren. Uh, Wasteland Strangler. Declaration uh, in Stone. Eldrazi, or Eldrazi uh, Displacer. It's just like, they're going heavy on the kill everything plan, as opposed to the and, counter and, things. Well, and their win con is basically stall out, kill your opponent's creatures, lock your board down, go long, and then nail like a secure the waste for 10. Yeah, yeah. Um, another big thing that I'm, that I'm going to be looking for is I want to know how many copies of Avacyn we're going to see. <laughs> how many decks That's, are how many decks are running four Avacyns? How many are I, running how many are running three? How many, run, think, how many just run two? I think we'll see this I've been reading some trends and seeing some stuff. People are looking they're originally running two in their decks, but the more and more camera time she would see of just straight hosing out people are three. Three seems to be what people are looking for with a potential fourth in the sideboard. Main deck-wise, you're probably going to see three. Okay. I, I'm going to put it – I'm making my prediction. If You'll see the majority of decks that are running Avacyn will probably play three. Okay. Uh, now, for a little bit even, of a personal even, – Even Coco decks are looking to potentially yeah. run now. So that's my, – then my personal little takeaway is I want to know how many of the Gitrog monster we're going to see in the feature match area. <laughs> That's your pet card, isn't it? It's my pet card. It's like it introverts the Uvenwald of the cards, and I'm just like, yes, please. Please <laughs> let them be good. I would lo- like, if I could build a deck right now, it's the Gitrog Jun deck. Oh, God, that deck looks fun. Now, I'll tell you a deck that looked pretty fun, too, was the uh, the one that Jadine Klumparns was playing. Uh, oh, the, the Nahiri Naya? Naya, Naya Nahiri. Oh, yeah. God, that deck also looked really sweet. Like, Nahiri, <laughs> she got, what, she Nahiri got was Nahiri. it like, what, 20 loyalty or something? Oh no no! It was like twenty eight loyalty. Oh god, that's so stupid. The that's worst so part was is like she should have, like retrospect, yeah, but she probably should have minus aided it because I think she was going against the company deck, or I, I forget exactly what deck she was going to get on camera against it. it Might have been a green black deck, but basically she had uh, decoration stone that a couple early oath of nisses 
had forced her to shunt to the bottom. Oh, she needed a shuffle. She needed a shuffle effect. Gotcha. And she m- just missed like any any point in that time. She could have used Nahiri's minus eight to grab a creature, shuffle up her deck, and potentially sort one of them closer to the top of her deck. By the end game, she was she almost decked herself. Actually, I think she almost did basically deck herself and won still. Did she win by madnessing out a, a Abyssin's judgment? Yeah, it was great. Uh, it was it was amazing. But she could have had a probably had a much easier t- go of it. Had she just taken one of those turns where she was just uh, the draw discard, which I think she draw discarded off of the – or she discarded then drew off of an Ahiri yeah. plus to Manus and out. But it's one of those things where minus eighting it, like we're not – we don't have fetch lands anymore. So Nahiri is minus eight in that kind of deck acts as almost a – Redo. Redo and nice way to shuffle your deck, especially since that one was playing those things. I, I thought it looked cool. It looks great. So there's so many there's so many fun decks to that are out there right now. Oh god, this format looks so sweet. I, I'm a little bit sad at the diversity of the top eight recently, but we have the format is still young. The format is still young. So let's get into some excuse me. Let's get into some predictions, shall we? So yes. let's talk about our predictions specifically for the top eight. We're gonna start with decks we expect to see in the top eight. Remember that the top eight is standard. So I want to know. How many of each of these decks we might see in the top eight? So, Ian, how many white weenie decks do you expect to see in the top eight? That's a tough question. With the right draw in terms of who they play, where they play, and all that good stuff, and who's piloting the deck, I would probably bank on probably seeing a white weenie deck or a low to the ground. And by low to the ground, I mean like a massive amount of one and two drop, either white, blue, or white green deck. So are you saying something of one that, deck, something, two decks? Potentially one, maybe more. Okay. How many collected company decks of the infinite variety of Coco decks do you expect to see? They all uh, appear to be green-white X, so either Bant, green-white, or Naya, which is red, Bant. I think, we'll see, I think we'll see at least two or three Bant decks, or Bant Coco decks in okay. the finals. I, it, it's just one of those, like, all right, this, this is me just thinking about, like, what we've seen currently. Like, I am nowhere near a pro player. I have no idea exactly what craziness they've unlocked in this format. Um, I'm going to be building Bant for this season um, and just slogging through it, even if they build something that's better and can do it. Bant Company just has a massive toolbox deck. It's, there's so many, like, they were originally playing four Jaces the first weekend, and they were like, we know this is wrong, but we're just playing four because it was like vestige from the previous like four-color rally decks, which this is based... The, the current Bant Collected Company decks are the spiritual successor almost to the old four-color rally decks. They have everything except for that crazy rally back to sack to a Nantuko Husk, but they're still playing an insane tempo deck gameplay. Yeah, there's so many lines where you like if your opponent is playing collected company and you know they're on collected company and they have six mana open, they could be doing any number of insane things. Even if they have five mana open, they could be playing something from something from the long lines of uh, they could flash in an Avison or they could play collected company. Or if you had a Duskwatch recruiter that's flipped over into a Crown and Horde or the Howler which means all creature spells cost one less to play, you could flash out a Void Grafter, make one of your creatures uh, hexproof if they're targeting it with a kill spell. Like, you can fizzle an entire um, Declaration in Stone on your three Reflector Mages if you just go, boop, Void Grafter, Reflector Mage. That one has uh, the one that it's targeting, 
has hexproof all of a sudden, your thing get, their thing gets fizzled, and then you can go boom bound increases right after that, all for four mana. It's insane. It's nuts, and I love it. It's powerful. You Sorry, actually, you actually I'm, you actually cut I'm, out there for a minute. Yeah, I know I did. Okay, just making sure that we 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 both knew what was going on there. I don't know. There was a lot of trucks driving around outside. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so Coco decks we expect to see a lot of black white mid range slash control. Um, I don't know the numbers. What do you think about this one? Frankly, I have. No I idea. would expect to see at least one, depending on depending on how good the white weenie decks are, because I think that the deck that might be the best suited to deal with them is the deck that has languish planar outburst dot deck. I feel right. like that's the. I think that's that's the best shell. The collected company decks are incredibly, incredibly weak to languish. They have a lot of X threes in the deck. Uh, one of the one of the few creatures that actually survives a languish in that deck is a post six land. Uh, Sylvan Advocate. Yeah. That's like the only one that can actually get its toughness above four, with the exception of a flipped over Avacyn. Yeah. So going back to some some decks from the previous standard, do we expect to see any like red green or mono green ramp decks? <sighs> People have been kind of off these ramp decks. They lost some of the efficiency, I guess you could say, that some of the fetch lands offered them. Mm. Uh, ramp hasn't been a big power player in the early set. It, they do have some powerful cards. They don't I don't think they lost a single one of their actual ramp spells. Like they still they still have uh explosive vegetation. You still get the uh, ruin in their wake. You get the uh various Nahiri or not Nahiri um what's her name? Arlen? No. No the elf. Oh Can't think of her name. Nissa. No. Yes, you have yeah, you have the various Nisses. Um you have their like Nisses uh the Vastwood Seer and the Voices Endicar. Right, you have all those. So you still those decks still have their push that gets them to their upper end, which they lost, which is I it's a really big loss in losing Ugin. Yeah. U- losing Ugin is probably the biggest blow to that deck. But yeah. So what about the This is pilgrimage, that's what I was thinking. Oh, Nisses Pilgrimage, got it. Uh, so there's this deck that I've been seeing sneaking around, which is Mono Red Eldrazi. Have you seen these lists before? Dude, Mono Red Eldrazi is hilarious. Do you want? Do you even want to take a flyer on whether that deck will make the top eight? Uh, I don't know. Well, what's speaking of red though? I know the ramp decks are playing it. And I've seen the Mono Red Eldrazi deck playing it as well. Is these interest like Chandra? Chandra is huge. Oh, Chandra Flamecaller is pretty absurd. Um. Do you want to just go ahead and go into cards? Well, yeah, we can still talk about decks for a little okay. bit. I mean, there's still... Well, I mean, now, the, the, we the only goggles, have two more decks listed, which is the Goggles Control, which is the blue-red thing of the ice. Yeah, the, the other, that, third, that last one there, that was just a funny deck I saw someone tweeting about earlier yeah. today. I don't think that would make a top eight, but it, it's, it shows the power of a card, which we'll rotate into. But Goggles Control, um, we saw... Todd Anderson. Todd Anderson just turn Pyramenter's Goggles from, like... The two to three dollar mythic that is up until the ten fifteen dollar mythic because the deck looks so much fun. Oh god, being able to copy some of those spells is just so dirty. Copying oh. a uh, surged out fall of the titans. Oh god, that that's so silly. Oh. <laughs> Where X equals like nine, and you can just be like, and I hit you for eighteen. See ya. That is so so I think silly. He had it where it was like, like he, I think he had X at like eight. She so was like splitting it between he's like copying it x hits this creature x hits you your copied spell x hits this creature x hits you that's <laughs> so just silly. like Ugh. and it plays thing on the ice is like one of its few creatures and it's 
it's fun. I like it. It's definitely <laughs> a deck that I can see maybe a refinement of some sort of it hitting there. Yeah. But it definitely has the potential to maybe put a copy in there. Now, I now, think now serious might, question. How there's many gonna, there's I think I'll also put there's probably gonna be maybe two to three decks that nobody even knows about right now. Oh yeah, there's there's definitely the like one or two flex slots where we don't see this deck coming out of nowhere. For example, my pet deck in the standard, which is blue red tutelage. Oh god. Uh, I, I got to play test that deck. Oh man, that deck is so much fun. Now, like I said, we did, I did put another deck down. I saw somebody tweeting about this. Um, they got a turn three kill in standard. So it's Cryptolith Rites, it's the card. It's one in a green. I, I it's have all no your idea. creatures into Birds of Paradise. They tap for any color of mana. Oh god, I want to hear how this happened. I don't know how it exactly powered out this quickly, but apparently there was a dragon. It might have been turn four. There was somebody, some streamer was playing it. Uh, basically, they had Cryptolith Rite down dragon tempest descent of the dragons oh, which God. is the mythic from dragons of tarkir where it's four red red destroy any number of target creatures for each creature destroyed this way its controller puts four red dragon oh, no, tokens. it's a four four that's a four four yeah for each creature so you get a creature you destroy a creature and then get a dragon and it had a dragon tempest out i don't know exactly the kill con that how they got this and how they got that many creatures out so quickly Basically, basically for, for the dra- for the Dragon Tempest Descent of the Dragon's Kill, you need minimum four creatures. Yes, you need minimum four creatures because Dragon Tempest says whenever a creature with flying enters a battlefield under your control, it gains haste. So those tokens you make with Descent of the Dragons now get four four hasting dragons. But you're missing the text that says that whenever when, a dragon enters the battlefield, you can deal damage equal to the number of dragons you control to target creature or player. Right, so you could essentially just go dome you for four or swing with 16 no, 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 and you're no, no. dead. Dome you for 16. Right, dome you for 16 and swing for 16. So you can actually do it with three. Uh, three would be nine well, attack for... Yeah, it could be three. So they could do it with three creatures if there's no interaction whatsoever on the opponent's part. Yeah. Anyways, so that's Cryptolith Rites. Let's go to cards. Um, how many copies of Archangel Avacyn do you want to see in the top eight? Are we talking like total number-wise? Total number-wise. Like, like total number-wise. Or average Not, per deck. Like total number. Like how many Archangel Avacyns? Are we expecting to see... Uh, 32. Is every deck playing four of them? Are we expecting to see like eight or nine? How many I copies? Would, I would probably say. All right, so let's put let's 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 winter the numbers down here. I think we'll see maybe five decks playing five to six decks playing white. So let's go with five, and each one of them playing three. So that'd be to 15. Four, three to four. Mm, let's call it like twenty. So or let's, you, anywhere between fifteen and twenty. So let's say eighteen. Okay, eighteen copies of Archangel Avacyn. How many copies of Jace, Vryn's Prodigy, do you expect to see in the top eight? Now, this is an interesting one. Like I mentioned, the, the Coco decks are off of Jace as heavily. He's not the linchpin that used to be in the deck. Obviously, without those fetch lands in standard to power out the flip side of him, like on turn three, potentially, a, you, know, you could basically get a Jace on, flipped on turn three. Um, I actually had him flipped on turn two once. That was kind of funny. That is pretty hilarious. Um, so, but are you expecting like... Two copies? Five? Mm. <sighs> Maybe? It's, it's, yeah. I would I would say it's gonna be single digits, potentially. Okay. I just don't think I just don't think we're gonna see a whole lot of him. That's fair. I mean uh, I'm, gl- I, I'm glad to not be right, in the chase. Alright, so I'll, I'm gonna go with alright, so I said three band company decks, right? Uh, you let's, said let's five assume, white decks, so you said well, two I assumed, to three. Well, band but Coco. I was saying when I was talking, I was talking about Band Coco, I said You said three two to three band Coco, so are you thinking more like six? 
So let's say each is playing, let's say there's three band Coco decks. Two are playing two, one's playing three, let's say seven. Seven, okay. How many Arlens do you expect to see? <sighs> if a Naya deck pushes through, we might see three. I'm not sure how many the Naya deck was playing. All right. How many Cocos? How many collected companies? There's going to be like 12. There's going to be full play sets in the three. So like, you're, you're, calling, three you're calling 12 to 15? At least 12. 12 at least 12. 12. Yeah, okay. How many Sorens, Grim Nemesis? All right, now, the like we mentioned that black-white mid-range control deck. A lot of the guys from the Rono crew were on that deck. And it seemed really decent. Like, let me just double-check the numbers on what they were playing. If in. I recall correctly, they're usually playing them like as a two-of. And, and I know that there's some decks that are play Sorn as a literal one-of. Yeah, was a two-of, it looks like, in those decks. So I would probably say maybe two or three. Okay. Uh, you already said the people were off the ramp deck. Do you expect to see any Ulamogs? Uh, for that matter? We might. That's that's rough. We might. I would probably say we'll see more Westville Abbeys than we see Ulamogs. How many Westville Abbeys do you expect to see? I have no idea. See, the funny thing is, is early in this format, everyone's like, oh my god, just jamming every deck. And everyone's like, mm, that's not a smart idea. Yeah. There are some decks that aren't playing it at all because you don't need it. Um, I do think, however, that if you are playing a deck and expect to do well in this format, you have to have an answer in either your main or your sideboard for Westvale Abbey's flip form of Ormondal. You yeah. need a way to answer him. Yeah. Like, if you don't have an answer for him, you are just, you're, you're done. Like, I don't think you can... You can luck into pushing your way to the top, but I really honestly don't think you're going to do. Like I'm, I'm starting to brew up standard. I'm, I'm love. I'm really looking forward to see what these pros do, mainly because I'm going to be participating in some GPS. I want to try hitting up some PPTQs and stuff this season for standard. I'm going to really start pushing myself to probably even stream standard. I have basically all but the avicens for a coco deck right now so i'm i'm absolutely interested to see what this format shakes out to be like we mentioned earlier we're mentioning all these top eight things and how it's prestigious to make the top eight but we did mention that the standard format the meta game we see is shaped by this weekend we're the meta is going to be shaped in days one and two day three could potentially just make a flavor du jour your flavor of the week deck that's going to become popular as hell i mean it's already Coco. So if Coco wins, it's going to become even more popular. It's going to get even more hate. Yeah. So hopefully the pendulum of standard swings super hard to Coco this week or whatever like that. That there's so much hate for it that people just completely get off of it by the time some of these standard events swing around in like the next month or so when I'm playing. Yeah. Another big thing to remember is the top eight effect, and it's not necessarily the deck that performs the best at the Pro Tour, but the deck that wins the Pro Tour suddenly gets a huge upswing of people who want to play it. So you do have to be careful if you're a finance person of watching which decks are top eighting or which decks going to win. There was also an interesting article I read too of people mentioning the camera effect. Now, with the, like one of the pro tours a few times ago when Dragon uh, the Esper Dragons decks were doing well, I think it was like Dragons Pro Tour. Uh, there was a blue black control deck that was playing Dragon Lord Silmgar, also the Dragon the Esper uh, control deck. All, all the Esper Dragons deck was. Yeah, the blue was, black one was Silimgar, Frost, uh, Frost Dragon, or the Ice Breath region. Icefall region, yeah. Icefall region. Those two got a huge boost because they saw a lot of good camera time. <sighs> Meanwhile, Ojutai didn't see a lot of good camera time because the Esper Dragon's deck didn't have more memorable blowouts with the Dragon or Silimgar landing, stealing a thing, and then just smashing your opponent's face to win. But it still ended up, financially-wise, 
OG Tie is still the more expensive card, but it was just yeah. like it got like spiking wise. Just be aware if you're out there looking to get in standard to try and avoid the spike, or if you are, pay so much close attention to it that you can get on the crest of the spike. Like under it, basically. Yeah, just beat the spike. Okay. But so, with the time difference, it's going to be kind of crazy. It's going to be really crazy, yeah. So to, to take this from the cards, we talked about the cards, we talked about the decks. Let's talk about the players. Who are some players we, we expect to see in the top know, eight? I know you specifically mentioned one in particular. He's having an amazing season so far. He just can't seem to be losing this Isn't it, He's amazing it's like like three to five years. Well, he's so had... But he's yeah he's strung together like previous standard with the four color coco or the four color uh, rally deck in his hands Owen Turtenwald just didn't lose he yeah. called he called shot at a Grand Prix he's like just award, it's like flash forward to this day awarding just everyone go home award me the Grand Prix it's gonna happen and he won it oh my god it's just this he's is such a, a good it's, he's it's such, Owen Turtenwald's format and we we are just blessed to be living in it. Well, I think the thing with Owen right now is that he is an incredibly skilled, incredibly technical player who is confident. Yeah. If he had, if he had, we don't know what he's going to be playing this weekend, but if he has a deck in his hands that he feels is the best one in the room at this point right now, he's dangerous. Like even, even if with a subpar deck, he's dangerous. Yeah. So we will, Owen is definitely someone who I'm going to be keeping my eye on too. He only has like what? Like two Proto Top 8s or something like that? I have no idea what his Proto Top 8s are. I think it's like, I think he had a, like a really, like the he, last Top 8ed was uh, Proto BFZ. And I think that that was like the, his first Top 8. He has three Top 8s. Yeah. He has an absurdly low number of Top 8s for someone he has 20, as good as he, he has is. 20 Grand Prix Top 8s, though. Yeah. He just crushes Grand Prix left and right. This is the Pro Tour level. He's 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 good. Don't get me wrong. He's a, he's a very good Magic player. He just hasn't Top 8ed as much as you would expect him to. But Another he's per- still really strong right now. I oh. would not put it past Owen to. If there's a magic player that I don't want to play, it's Owen. If, yeah. Um, I know you can speak from experience for that. So, uh, another player who I, who I expect to see in the top eight would be LSV. Oh man. Because had, LSV top bring- eighted his most recent most recent GP or most recent Pro Tour, which was Pro Tour Oath of the Gatewatch, where he was playing the Colorless Odrazi deck. I don't think they're going to break the format that bad this time because it's really hard to break standard as badly as they broke modern that format. That yeah. was an aber. Well, one that was an aberration, and we will not talk about Eldrazi <laughs> right now. Fair enough. So I think I would expect to see LSV pop up in there at some point. Um, if not, we'll see him on. We'll see him on Sunday, regardless. I look at it this way: we're going to see LSV on yeah. camera on Sunday. Whether he's playing or commentating is yeah. the real question. Uh, Ian, are there any players or teams maybe that you expect to see in the top eight? Um, I, I'm not too, I'll, I'll admit, I'm not too familiar with a lot of the European teams, but they've been having an insane run lately. So we'll probably see someone from team Eureka, uh, Yo Larson. He's one of the big people on that team. Uh, he's done really well at a lot of recent events. I see him tweeting out a lot like team eureka is like i think at the last pro tour they had some insane like 70 percent win rate the team on day one like that's just insane yeah so i wouldn't be surprised if we see a team eureka member and those are mostly just some top european pros i i wouldn't put it past them to see at least one of them or two maybe even in the top eight or fighting for top eight late day two yeah um i think that pretty much does it 
this episode's a little bit longer than usual. We got to rambling a little bit. Who cares? About, Pro about, Tour. About limited and standard. It's going to be really exciting to watch the Pro Tour, or at least the replays of the Pro Tour, <laughs> for those of us who, who, who have to keep regular hours. I look, at, I look at this. We went long because we're talking about something that's going to be super fun. Like, Pro Tours happen four times a year. You get Christmas as a Magic player four times a year. That's true. We get four set releases every year. It's exciting. <laughs> but it's, Anyways, it's going to be massively fun. That it is. So with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and close out the show. Ian, where can people find you? People can find me streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash dicks. I also actually recently did one for MTG Diversity. Uh, great bunch of people uh, who want to have openness and inclusion for people of all colors, races, gender identities, sex, all that good stuff. Whoever you are, if you enjoy Play Magic, they want you guys to play. Um, they let me. They hosted me on their stream a couple nights ago, and it was fun. Yeah. Uh, so you can find me there, but mostly on my main Twitch channel and also on Twitter at DixonIJ. All right. And you can find me over on Twitter at jwiley129. Also, you can find the podcast itself on Twitter at eyesonthemise. Um, also, you can email us if you have any more personal questions at, at gmail, which is eyesonthemise, eyesonthemise at gmail.com. That's going to do it for this week. And we will see you all after the Pro Tour. See you guys.